Welcome to Wilhelm. I am your host, Ben Beck, and this is part two of a Barbenheimer crossover with the Podcastica Network. Uh, Podcastica, the cast of us program over there covering Barbie of the Barbie Oppenheimer, the uh, Barbenheimer, uh, and then myself and my guest, we're going to be talking about Oppenheimer, which brings me to my guest. You know her as my co-host from the Revisited podcast, as well as my co-host for the weekly movie swap episodes we do here on Wilhelm. Uh, please welcome Kristen. Yay! Applause, applause, applause. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I have that on my soundboard. I didn't, I didn't think to add it. Oh, well. oh, it's really fine. Don't worry about it. I yeah. don't need that. It's totally fine. But uh, yeah, so as I mentioned, this is a this is a crossover. So you are hearing this on Wilhelm and uh, you are also hearing this on Podcastica. So for everybody at Podcastica who has never heard Wilhelm before, thank you for listening. And for everybody who's listening on Wilhelm, make sure you go check out Podcastica. But uh, we'll give you all the links to everything at the end of the pod, at the end of the episode. Or else we'd be just talking forever about all yeah. that. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but we'll give you the plugs at the end, let you know what Wilhelm is all about for those of you on Podcastica, and let you know what Podcastica is all about for all of you on Wilhelm. But we're here to talk about Oppenheimer. Yes, we are. With I I know you're I'm so excited. I'm so excited. First of all, first of all, I have been excited about this movie for easily over a year. So it I just I can't even tell you how excited I'm such a huge Killian Murphy fan to start with. Anybody who has seen Peaky Blinders is probably on the same level as me for Killian Murphy because his portrayal of Tommy Shelby is unbelievable so good if you haven't seen Peaky Blinders please do yourself a favor and go watch Peaky Blinders especially if you've seen Oppenheimer just my whole recommendation but this movie with how excited I was how over the top excited I was lived up to every everything lived up to everything so so let me ask you going back to what you mentioned about Killian Murphy and and Peaky Blinders is Peaky Blinders is the character he plays in Peaky Blinders based on an actual person? Peaky Blinders were an actual historical um gang. Yes. Okay. All right. I did not know that. I thought it was just a series that was written and created. I didn't know it was actually no. about an well, actual Well, I gang. mean, I don't know how historically accurate it is. I think that they take a lot of creative license with the gang, but the gang did exist. These characters did exist. Uh, the time period it did exist in. So it's it's excellent. I highly, it's one of my my favorite favorite shows. Um, if you're not used to hearing like really thick British accents, you need to watch it on subtitles, um, especially when Tom Hardy is on. Especially when Tom Hardy is on. Oh, Tom Hardy's in it. Oh, yeah. Oh. He plays Alfie Solomons, which is an excellent character for him as well. Piggy Blinders is great, but we're talking about Oppenheimer. <laughs> I know. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Because I'm I'm not the biggest Tom Hardy fan. So, uh, well. Well, until you watch some, this show. Yeah, something. Well, we'll see. Um, I was excited about this, too. So I'm. I wasn't nearly as excited as you were about the movie a year ago. Uh, my excitement more built over maybe like once I started seeing like the trailers and the previews and the teaser, because I didn't really know much. I knew Oppenheimer was the, was the creator of the atomic bomb. I knew mm -hmm. 
the science behind it. It's Christopher Nolan. So I knew the movie was going to be like a gargantuan task and I knew it was going to be a good movie. Like I, I knew it was going to be good just because it's Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause he definitely has more hits than misses in my opinion. There's a couple misses to yeah. me, but more hits than misses. So I knew it was going to be good. I started getting more and more excited about the movie after I saw the trailers, started seeing the previews, started hearing more and more hype about it, started hearing your excitement about the movie, hearing other people's excitement about the movie. The cast. Let's the, just. The cast is. The cast. The cast was even. I'm just going to say the cast was even more stacked than I knew it was. Than I, th- right. than I, than I thought it was. Yeah. Um, Me too. But my excitement really grew like to the point of like, I can't wait to see this movie when I got the invite for the screening. Mm. And then when I got the invite for the screening, I was like, okay, I'm going to be able to get to see this movie before anybody else. Well, before a majority of other people. He, this guy takes a picture (laughs) of himself in the theater and sends it to me like a jerk. (laughs) Okay. It wasn't a picture of myself. I took a picture of the screen. Mm Mm-hmm. With the Oppenheimer graphic on the screen. Very <laughs> jealous. I was so jealous. It was like <laughs> seething with jealousy. But yeah, so I went to, I, I had the opportunity to go to an advanced screening of it. I got to see it a couple days before it released. And you went and saw it the weekend of. So you went and saw it this past weekend at the time we're recording this. And Yes, I did. And I was so excited to see this movie that there were no tickets available in Dolby or IMAX. So I saw a standard version of it and I'm going to have to go back and do the Dolby or do the IMAX, whichever one I could get tickets for, but I needed to see the movie more than I needed to see it with good sound. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into like a deep dive of it and a full breakdown of it, um, and I apologize to any podcastica listeners that are listening to this and feel like this is formatted differently than what Jason does over in podcastica. And that's because it is like, we are two totally different podcasts. We do things differently here on Wilhelm. Um, yes. but what he does a podcast is, is, is great. So if it feels different, it's because it is, it's, it's, just because we are two different shows. Um, so before we get into the deep dive of the movie, overall thoughts, like we'll say scale of one to 10. Oh, even though I already know your answer, but for listeners, scale of one to 10, what were your initial thoughts, overall thoughts on seeing Oppenheimer? That would be an 11. Yeah. I look this uh, like I said earlier this movie completely blew away all of my very high expectations and excitement for the movie which um I mean it's a 3 hour long movie and I told this to Ben after I saw the movie when it, as it was ending I was like no 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 wait 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 no 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 I I I didn't want it to stop I didn't want the movie to end I was fully I was fully engrossed in this world, in this story, in this man. And I was just, I, I just wanted a little bit more. So I'm really hoping that there's like an extended version that might come out one day because <laughs> it was phenomenal, phenomenal. I can tell you that that it would be difficult for me to choose who would get a nomination for awards um, for this movie. Because I think every last actor brought their A game. They brought 110% of themselves to each role 
that was being played. The story is so, so good. And it has some twists and turns in it. And it's got excitement. It's got, um, it's got love. It's got trauma. It's, it's, if you're a science person, it's got lots of science, but you know, I, I'm not a science person. So at first in the first like 10 minutes of the movie, I was like, uh Oh, I, <laughs> there's a lot of science words, but it didn't matter. So that, that felt good that it didn't matter in the long in, in the overall arching of the story. So how yeah. about you? See, I am a science person. So that's one of the reasons why like a lot of this movie intrigued me. The talking of the, of the splitting the atom of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of all the equipment that they use and everything like it's, it's, that is stuff that intrigued me, but I'm also a history buff as, as are you. So getting to mm-hmm. see, getting to hear and see more of the background, cause I would love to hear, I'd have to see if there are interviews about it, but I would love to see if there are interviews with Christopher Nolan about just how much research went into this movie. I know it was based on the book Prometheus. Okay. So that was the book based on Oppenheimer, which is about, it's a Oppen, it's an Oppenheimer uh, biography. Okay. All right. So, so a lot of the research was probably already done then going into this movie. And that's probably where he took a lot of, but Christopher Nolan is a very meticulous director. So, although there is a very, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I did read online. There is a big history and accuracy in the movie that people have caught and pointed out. Well, okay. Um, actually I'll just bring it up now. There's a, there's a scene where after the bomb is created and the bomb is used, um, in the test run or no, no, in Hiroshima. After, after Hiroshima, Hiroshima and, and, and Nagasaki, um, there's that big kind of pep rally afterwards where everybody's in the room and they're all waving the American flags. Uh, they use the wrong American flag at that point in time in history. Uh, there were only 48 states. There were not 50. Interesting. And all the flags that were used were the 50 star flag. That's interesting. I yeah, I didn't catch that because I was more interested in what was happening to Oppenheimer. Yeah, me uh, too. During like, that I'm, scene, I was like, who, yeah. like who picks up on that? I mean, that yeah. So, anyways, I can't wait to talk about this movie. Um, <laughs> so, what what was your overall one to ten? Or is so, that what we're doing? Uh, yeah. So, uh, one to ten. I'm with you. I walked out of this movie again. I knew this movie was going to be good. Uh I did not anticipate a three hour long movie where I did not check my watch once because I didn't. I have checked my watch during Marvel movies. I have checked my watch during Fast and Furious movies, which anybody who knows me knows I love those movies. Um, Did not check my watch once in the three hours I was watching this movie. Yeah. And when this movie was over, I legitimately said to to, to one of a, a mutual friend of ours who was there with me, I said, Holy shit, that was amazing. Because I was so engrossed in the story. I was mm-hmm. so engrossed in the background. I did not anticipate. I mean, I should have. But I didn't anticipate like the moral quandaries that were involved in everything. Like There was so much more to the story that I did not anticipate. And then just also... Every time you turn around, there's another familiar face and then another familiar face and another familiar face. And I was so overtaken with thoughts on how much I enjoyed the movie mm-hmm. that it took me. I, I legit sat in my car for like a good 10 minutes before I left the theater. That's awesome. 
because I was That's just awesome. replaying stuff in my head like Killian Murphy's going to get an Oscar nomination for this. Yes. Oh, wait. Robert Downey Jr. is going to get an Oscar nomination for this. Yes. Holy shit. Matt Damon's going to get an Oscar nomination. Yes. Like, I'm like, I like all of this just rush of review was just in my head after this movie that I immediately got home and went to work on the review yeah. for the podcast. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, but scale of one to 10, it's, it's absolutely a 10. Mm-hmm. I gave it a five star review. I don't, I review a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the last time I gave a movie five stars. I think, I mean, of course, and we talked about this before the Leonardo DiCaprio movie that's coming out soon. Flowers of Hill flower death on k- killing of flower moon, something like that. <laughs> I think that that's what it's called. The killing of flower moon. Anyways, I'm going to wait to see what happens with that movie, but I mean, other than that upcoming movie, I don't see a contender to beat out just how wonderful this movie was. You know, I know that Barbie is really popular. I know that there are popular movies out there, but as far as like a really standout, excellent film, Oppenheimer takes the cake. It's the best movie I've seen in a super long time, probably since everything everywhere all at once which we both really loved. Yeah. There I mean there are a lot of people I'm seeing who are reviewing this film that are saying that this might be one of the best movies of the past decade. Yes. Um which I I don't I'm not saying that's wrong at mm-hmm. all cuz I really can't think of any other movies that would maybe compare to it. Um as far as other contenders against it you're right Killers of the Flower Moon is a possible contender even though I, I don't really know anything about the movie to be completely honest. Well, I saw the tra- I saw the trailer but at Oppenheimer. That's the first time I've actually seen a trailer for that movie, and it looks excellent. Well, I mean, I'm looking at the cast of it, too. I mean, you got Leonardo DiCaprio, De Niro, Jesse Plemons, John Lithgow, um, Sturgill Simpson. Sturgill Simpson? Wow. I uh, didn't see that. Brendan, Fra- Brendan Fraser. Um, so it's got a great cast, and it's directed by Scorsese. So yeah, right. you just throw that name on there, and you could pretty much already guarantee Oscar contention. Right, which is why which is why I'm just like, okay, let's see what happens with that movie. But, I mean, even Rami Malek, who is in the movie 20 minutes, maybe? If that, I mean, yeah. If that. He's in three scenes, and the first two scenes, he says zero words. He is so good in this movie. Like the the like just the one thing that he did in the movie um when he went up to Congress or something like that in in the interrogation for, I think it was no, for, no, no, the, um, it was like a confirmation, confirmation hearing. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, confirmation hearing to be commerce secretary for um RDJ's character Strauss. Yes. Um it was it was so compelling. It was so good. And that's when I knew that the movie was really special, was that even this one small, tiny character played by Rami Malek was phenomenal. And mm-hmm. and he gave it 100%, even though he is a big Oscar-nominated actor who has done incredible things with his career. He gave his one huge scene 110% of himself. And I think that that's what every actor did in this movie. I agree with you. I think every actor, it doesn't matter how much screen time they had, gave everything to their performance in mm-hmm. this. Um, Matthew Modine is in it. Matthew Modine is in it. Um, you have James Darcy, Scott Grimes, um, Kenneth Brenna. 
Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. I mean, like, I I have the I, list of the cast here. I mean, we have Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Alden Eidenreich, who was uh, Han Solo, Scott Grimes, Jason Clark, Tony Goodwin, or Goldwyn, who I haven't seen oh, in a yeah. while. Kenneth Brenner. Uh, Brenner. Let's, Brenner. Uh, David Crumholtz. Josh Hartnett, who I didn't even recognize the entire movie. He was excellent. Um, Josh Zuckerman, Florence Pugh, uh, Matthew Modine, uh, David Dasmalchin, who was fantastic. Matt the guy Damon, from 10 Things I Hate About You, whatever his name is. Uh, Josh, Pe- well, that's David Krumholtz. There you um, go. Josh Peck, Jack Quaid. Uh, it, the list just goes on. Remy Malik, the, uh, Casey Affleck is in the movie. He's really good in it too. And I was so surprised <laughs> to see him. <laughs> James, James Remar is in the movie. Um, there are so many, the list just goes on and on and on cast. Yeah. It's one of the most stacked casts I've ever seen. And you're, and and every single person, whether they're on screen for one minute or an hour and 15, like is, is an a plus performance. I mean, even I, I talked to you a little bit about this before too. Like when we talk about Oscar contention and care and actors that might be up for Oscars, the only one I was kind of questioning for a little while was Emily Blunt because I felt like, Oh, she's just the secondary titular wife character. It, but then there's a moment with her character where she's also, she's being interrogated and her performance during that scene I remember when that scene was over, just thinking in my head, there it is. There's she the Oscar performance right there. two different characters. She was two different characters in that one interview. Yeah. Um, it was, and I think that it was on purpose. So, okay. So let's stop talking in, in overarching things here and get kind of down into it. Cause with Emily Blunt, um, by the time that we really see her in the scene that you're talking about, which is, so the whole movie starts off with the fact that it is um, this, there are two hearings that are happening. There's one for, um, for Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Strauss, who is trying to get confirmed as the commerce secretary for um, the, a cabinet position with the president (laughs) played by Gary Oldman. (laughs) Yep. An unrecognizable Gary. I Oldman. didn't know it was him until you told me. <laughs> He's unrecognizable in this movie. It, it's kind of crazy. And then there's this other hearing that's happening in a very cramped uh, room filled with people for um, Oppenheimer. And so we've got two different hearings that are happening under two very different circumstances. Um, and it the movie kind of flows in time, back in time, and then forward in time to this present day. And these two hearings kind of by the end of the movie comes together and and the story finally comes together and then moves forward after that. And that's how we get our ending. Um, but I really, really enjoyed the structure of the movie. Um, I enjoyed the fact that when we had two different points of view, um, Strauss's, if the movie was in Strauss's point of view, it was black and white, mm-hmm. which I think is great because his character is very black and white. Um, there were really no shades of gray. I think when it came to, to Strauss's character, um, there is a reason behind that. Um, Christopher Nolan has actually come out and said, and the, the, he's been quoted as saying this. And now that I know this, it actually makes me enjoy the movie even more. Uh, Christopher Nolan says that the color scenes in Oppenheimer are subjective 
and the black and white scenes are objective, meaning the black and white scenes are what you see is what you get. These are what happened. Right. These are what historically, di- uh, these are what are distinct, dictated historically. Mm-hmm. But the color scenes are, again, they're subjective. You read into them what you will. You read into them the moral quandary. You read into everything that yeah. is happening. Um that which totally is makes sense because, but at the same time, the color scenes are also from Oppenheimer's um, point of view. Mm-hmm. So it it is, it, I like it that it's objective and subjective, like you said, but I also noticed that it's also a point of view reference. And it might just be because Strauss's character is, is just depicted as what happened because this is Opp- Oppenheimer's story. It's not Strauss's story. Well, and what I also liked about that too, in the structure of the black and white versus the color is there's actually a third way to look at it, which is actually how I initially looked at it before okay. knowing how Christopher Nolan is like you, the way you see it. And then the way Christopher Nolan intended it to be seen, the way I actually saw it was, it was almost like when you watch movies, when you're doing flashbacks, flashbacks, tend to be in black and white and the present day tends to be in color. This played out to be reverse because of that. I I thought the the same thing too. Yeah. The confirmation hearing was technically the present day of the story and everything else Mm -hmm. was being told from a point of view in the past, which was all what was in color. So it was almost reverse what you normally see when you tell, when you see a movie telling a story about a past. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, the most obvious example I can think of is like Walking Dead when they were doing that when they did the premiere of season something, maybe six, maybe not. Um, But it was the past was depicted in black and white. And then the future or the present was depicted in uh, color. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with that frame of reference, that's kind of what I thought in the very beginning of the movie. And I was like, no, that's not working. That's not working because it's color when he is at school in Oxford. So it, it just didn't make any sense in the very beginning of the movie um, because it was in color. And so then I thought, oh, maybe it is. Maybe it's, you know, the present is in black and white and the past is in color. But then I realized, no, that can't be it because uh, Oppenheimer's scenes in the um in the interview scenes when he's having his own private hearing, those are all in color. Yeah. But those are also the past. Those are before that confirmation hearing. Timeline. No, it was happening at the same time. No, I they thought. weren't. No, they weren't. They happened. They had happened already because that's one of the reasons why Strauss gets called out at the end by Remy Malik's character. Those, those <sighs> interviews, those interrogations with Oppenheimer had already happened. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to have to watch it again. Cause I, well, you were going to do that anyway. Well, yeah, um, that was a foregone conclusion. Um, yeah. Okay. So I took it completely different, but th- yeah, I'm glad no, that you told me that. Thank you. Yeah. No, th- those, con- those interrogations in that small little closet area, mm-hmm. they were already concluded by the time of Strauss's confirmation hearing. Okay. So okay. And that's, that's how Remy Malik had all that information was because everything had already finished. Mm, okay. And that's what okay. shuts down his confirmation. Uh, I was so glad that he didn't get it. Me too. And I'm so glad that the the holdout or the switch vote was this young senator named John F. 
Kennedy. I got so excited when they said it was a, it's a young senator. And I said, I know who it is. Yep. They're from Massachusetts. I go, I know who it is. Yep. The best, <laughs> the best part about that was like, you're not the only one. The moment they started talking and they said the holdout was like a senator and like this young senator, you can hear audible like chuckles Kennedy, and Kennedy, gasps Kennedy. from the audience yeah. because they knew <laughs> yeah. it was Kennedy. <laughs> right. Well, you know, everybody knows Kennedy. Everybody knows yeah. Kennedy. Um, so that, yeah, that's very cool. Um, so let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about the title of the book that this is based on, which is Prometheus. Mm -hmm. So for anybody that doesn't know who Prometheus is, Prometheus was a Greek God who was the God of fire. Um, the reason why he's a God of fire is because he, he was eventually punished by Zeus and um, he was punished by Zeus because he had, um, because Prometheus had stolen fire from Olympus and given it to uh, people, to given it to man, which means that, you know, he was responsible for uh, giving them destruction, basically. Um, and so what's interesting is that in the Western tradition of uh, Prometheus. Prometheus became a figure who represented human striving, particularly the quest for scientific knowledge mm -hmm. and the reach and the risk of overreaching or unintended consequences. So to me, that perfectly depicts who Oppenheimer was. He, he says, I am become death, right? Mm -hmm. Um, or I have become death. I am whatever. Um, and so, him being the him being related to the god of fire and with uh what the western interpretation of that is especially in the quest for scientific knowledge the uh the risk of unintended consequences i mean oppenheimer was after this scientific breakthrough he wasn't after making a, a weapon of mass destruction that wasn't his goal but he wanted to be able to to find out the answers to these physics questions that he's had for so long. And that's how he got the funding. That's how he was able to do it. Um, and watching him kind of evolve in and out of who he should be during this process. Who was it? One of the characters told him, take the uniform off. You are not in the military. It was, um, uh, uh, Isidore, the, the, um, David Krumholtz's character. That guy was yeah. like his conscience yeah. the entire movie. That was that was his role was to be his conscience. Um, but you saw you saw him you saw Oppenheimer go from this intellectual who finally gets you know some validation and he's off in the clouds. I mean he he reminds me of Sheldon Cooper, right? And I'm pretty sure probably that the character of Sheldon Cooper was probably loosely based on Oppenheimer because there's a lot of different similarities between the two characters i think i can see the comparison yeah i can definitely see the comparison um but you see him trying to fit in by okay i guess i'm in the military now you know he's told me i have to wear this uniform to back to no this is who i am i am a scientist and then he's a political guy and then he he backs out and he's not a political guy political guy he's a scientist you know so he keeps struggling with his identity the entire movie and he fluctuates between who he thinks he's supposed to be and who he actually is um kind of like he just couldn't get a handle on it his whole life and i think that his real grounding moments in the movie were his conversations with albert einstein 
who had already been through um, a lot of what Oppenheimer was going through, Mm -hmm. Um, especially, you know, by kind of being excommunicated from your country and losing your country, even though you love your country so much and you still have to deal with the fact that you are, you've been villainized in your country or your country doesn't want you anymore. Um, so I really liked those scenes that kind of brought him down to earth a little bit more when we had those quiet moments with Albert Einstein, or we had the quiet moments with his, um, Isadora friend. What, who is it? Isidore. Yeah. Okay. Isidore Is- friend. Isidore, Isidore Rabbi. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and even his moments that he had with uh, Josh Hartnett's character. Well, it's funny because you, when you were talking about like all his struggles with identity and stuff, mm-hmm. and how he was, you know, how he was a soldier because he had the uniform on, and eventually he becomes a politician. Like, like it's Ernest that actually calls him out at one point and says, "You're not a scientist any longer. You're a politician." You know, right. and that it's which is Josh Hartnett's character is is Ernest. So, like, it's funny how different characters also perceived Oppenheimer in different ways at that time as well. Even though they knew mm-hmm. him to be a scientist, um, you know, Isidore always knew at heart who Oppenheimer was. He was a scientist. Right. He was always about the science. Because he's the one, as you mentioned, who told him, take that uniform off. That's not you. Right. You know, but Ernest, on the other hand, knew who Oppenheimer began as a scientist, but said, well, now you're a politician. Right. So he struggled with his identity about that because of other people around him as well. Right. But, you know, it was good seeing that eventually he does find his identity. He does get become more grounded. And you're, I think you're right. Einstein is the one person that helped him to become that. Or well, helped him to of find the who same he was. intellectual level too, mm-hmm. right? Like he can't, you learn very quickly that Oppenheimer can't really have the same conversations with people that he wants to have because he is so brilliant. And really the only person that seems to have been on his level, at least in this scope, in this movie was Albert Einstein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean, Tom Conti played a great Albert Einstein as well. Like so much. He was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. He was somebody I didn't actually recognize either. Um, as Albert Einstein. I didn't recognize the actor, but I know the mm-hmm. actor from other projects um, as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's the struggles with Oppenheimer, because one of the things that I really, I, like, I didn't really perceive knowing what I knew about Oppenheimer and the project mm-hmm. behind it, and, like the Trinity project and everything. I never really grasped the whole moral quandary of everything, which is something I've brought up already. Um, Mm -hmm. But seeing all the scientists at that camp and knowing thanks to this movie, thanks to this film that they were very split morally when it came to the creation of this bomb, when it came to the creation of this, this thing, how could you not be? Well, because they knew, yes, this is a scientific discovery. This is a scientific exploration and this will be a scientific creation, but they knew it was working for the government. They all knew it was working towards uh, towards the war. But the split came in, okay, do we create this bomb? Because they all knew it was a bomb. Like, there was no questioning that. But the question came in, okay, are we, are we creating this bomb to use it to win the war? Or are we creating this bomb to not use it and end the war? And it was very interesting to see where different people fell on that. And Oppenheimer kind of fell in the middle of it, which is one one of the reasons why he struggled as hard as he did. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of things that came up in those interrogations that we get to see throughout the movie. And then we definitely are more pursuant in 
towards the end of the movie. Like, did you, did you make your, your concerns aware before creating, before creating this? And he didn't, I mean, and it was something, cause it was something he didn't really consider until after the fact. Because he was after a scientific explanation of something. He yeah. he chose not to see where it was headed. But I mean, honestly, if the military is getting involved, it's because they want to use it to kill people. Like, let's, you know, I mean, we know that now. <laughs> um, but I think that it was, I mean, as far as, uh, as, as Grove's character, who was played by Matt Dillon, as far as... Uh, Matt Damon. Um, as as Grove's character Matt Dillon goes, was in this movie too. I know, right? Um, to me, it seemed like it was more of we have to beat the Russians than we have to end the war. Because war is kind of his his life. That's his job. Without yeah. war, he wouldn't have his job. Um, he wanted to beat the Russians. And he was convinced the Russians had this nuclear bomb before them, or the atomic bomb before them. And that was what... To me, that's what it looked like was driving him to be so crazy when it came to um, this project, the Manhattan Project. Yeah, and Matt Damon's character, I, I, he's, don't get me wrong, again, Killian Murphy is fantastic as Oppenheimer, and Robert Downey Jr. as Strauss are fucking fantastic. Um, but Groves was a character that really intrigued me, especially closer to the end of the movie. Like again, because he softens. Yeah. And that's just it. Like he softens when he, when he is brought into those interviews and Mm -hmm. like, there's the scene where they say like, knowing what you know now, and I'm paraphrasing, but knowing what you know now, would you still grant Oppenheimer security access or would you renew? No, he said, according to today's, standards yes which is totally an unfair question well i mean and i love the fact that when we see the conclusion of that when we see because that's where they leave us like they he's like Mm -hmm. well i don't know what the standards are they present him with the standards and then we're left open-ended until a little bit later on in the movie and you hear his answer and in that moment you're kind of disappointed because he's like no i would not have renewed a security clearance and then he follows through with the but I wouldn't renew anybody's security clearance by these standards. Uh-huh, like saying yeah. like, That's right. He does say that, but like, in, like pretty much saying like, because these standards are ridiculous. Right. Well, you it know? was right before, you know, the McCarthy trials, you know, this, mm. this was a really interesting time in history. You know, the cold war is on the rise. World war two has ended. We're still kind of fighting with the Japanese. Um, you know, we've got this weird, you know, rivalry going on with Russia. So it it's interesting because commun- people were so scared of communism, especially after the rise of fascism and the fall of fascism. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's really important with, with these t- kinds of movies to really understand where you are in history. And this particular time in history is volatile. Everybody's paranoid. Everybody. I'll tell you, it's so volatile, in fact, that, and and our country has such a history when it comes to war and volatility that I, I, like, I know all about World War One and World War Two and who was involved, but yet there was so much that was happening that for a moment until this movie, I forgot that the Nazis, the Japanese, and communism were all involved. 
right. in World War II. That's how volatile, like you mentioned, this country was at that time. And I completely and, forgot And the U.S. didn't want to get involved time. in anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so, it, it, yeah, I just, um, yeah, the, his, the, the historical perspective that you have to put yourself into with this movie, I think is really important. And that's why in this scene, when Groves is looking at the current uh, standards in order to have security clearance, that's why that line to me packs a punch, because he's going up against his own government with that word. With, with those words, with that phrase, by saying, I wouldn't give anybody security clearance with yeah. these standards. That's a pretty bold thing to say in um, in this time. What was it, like 47, I think? 1947? I, I think around then, yeah. Yeah. So that's a pretty bold statement to make with the rise of the Cold War, the close of, the, um, of World War II. And the worry about communism, which is eventually going to erupt into the McCarthy trials, um, which was, you know, our version of a congressional witch hunt. Um, so I really enjoyed I really enjoyed kind of the heaviness of what was being said without saying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, because and like I, I actually really want to read Prometheus after seeing I, me too, this man. Because I've never I've never read it. Um, when I'm when I can watch a movie that involves this much history and this much story going into it that makes me want to continue doing more research and continue finding out more of the story that's mm-hmm. being told. Like that is an absolutely engaging movie. Like yes. I, I want to read Prometheus. I want to go and I want to watch documentaries on Oppenheimer. Yes. I want to watch documentaries on the Trinity project. I want to yes. watch, I like, I want to take in as much information as possible and then rewatch this movie again. Right. With oh, with all, all of that, that, new that in mind. Yes. Uh, that's a cool idea. Maybe we should do that. On the down low. Um, <laughs> so Robert Downey Jr.'s Levi Strauss character. Let's you do you want to switch over to that for a second? Yeah, we can talk. We we can talk about some of the actors in their portrayals because I think they well, definitely deserve to be talked about. And Robert RDJ's in particular, because one of the things What a different character. Well, one of the things so I, in in doing some of the re, I now I have not done as much research as you. More, my research is more about the movie element, not the historic element. That's but why that's we work. Of, I know that's one of the reasons I'm glad <laughs> I'm doing this with you because I knew you were bringing that to the table. <laughs> um, but two things about the actors in this movie that I really actually enjoyed, and one of them is Robert Downey Jr.'s. And I, I read an interview with him pr- promoting this movie before the actor strike took effect, and they were still allowed to promote. Um, and I'm again, I'm paraphrasing, but he said in this interview that he said, look, I love Tony Stark. I love playing Iron Man. I will never lose my love for those characters because of what they bring to people and what they how they make people feel. But I'm never going to win an Oscar playing Tony Stark. I want an opportunity. I'm so happy this movie is giving me an opportunity for people to actually see that I'm an actor. Yeah. And Christopher Nolan actually said that um, he actually like had a talk with him 
and was like, I don't want any of those like antics or Mm -hmm. any of your like signature things that you do. Like you need to play this guy straight. And he is so good. I can't like when, when it, when I finally realized that he's the villain of this story. Yeah. It's a big moment. My head exploded. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a big moment. mm Mm-hmm. I, I, and I want to go back and see it again and see what I missed because it was, it was something that I didn't see coming and I didn't expect to happen. Yeah. When you kind of figure out like that he's behind, I mean, when you say he's behind everything, it makes him sound like this huge mastermind, which it kind he was. Of, in some ways he really was uh, like, to, but to be a historical mastermind and not like a villainous mustaching mustache twirling mastermind is <laughs> like it's completely petting. different yeah like a mr big petting mr bigglesworth on your lap <laughs> yeah. like they're two total like this is really my first time i've ever experienced like a historical mastermind mm-hmm. to see all the effort that he put into everything because he's for most of the movie he's He's not like an extremely likable character, but he's not a despised. He's not a character you despise. You just think of him as somebody who Oppenheimer worked with. He was a colleague. It's not until stuff is revealed towards the end of the movie that you're when he doesn't get that confirmation at the end, you want to cheer. Oh, oh, I said I said, yay. I yeah. did for sure. Yeah. And, and uh, Alden, Alden, uh, whatever his name, his <laughs> yeah. character. What was his character's name? I got to look at it now. Uh, so he, it, he just they Senate never give aid. him. Yeah, they just Senate they never aid. give him a, a name. When, when he was the one that got to tell him that he that the vote didn't pass, and the like, just the smile that was behind his face, like you could see the smile and the joy that he got telling him that he failed at being Commerce Secretary. Like, it was coming out of his ears and his eyes and his nose. Like, it was just so funny to see this guy just so overjoyed in that moment. I loved that scene too, but the scene that I found even better was right as Strauss was about to leave the room to face the reporters after Strauss was talking about the conversation between Oppenheimer mm-hmm. and Albert Einstein when yeah. he leans and he says like maybe it wasn't about you it was awesome and then opens the door and leads him out and Strauss just has to smile yeah as he's walking out I was like that's the best burn like yeah like you just made like because he did like he made this all about himself yeah, and then for that Senate aide to be like, you know what? Maybe this whole thing wasn't about you to begin. As with. As he hands him a tube of sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that moment to me was even better than him telling yeah. him he didn't get the confirmation. That whole, I mean, that to me to be, you know, the Senate aide that he was, and he got to just that whole like because that all happened in the same scene that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, what a great moment for somebody who's like kind of, you know, he's working in Congress and he's not really somebody, but he gets to really like stick it to somebody that is truly evil. Um, as far as a political evil, right? There's not, there's, you know, there's Hitler evil and then there's political evil, yeah. you know, somebody who uses their power for their benefit, um, and the detriment of others, which as he's unfolding his plan as Strauss, Strauss is, uh, unfolding his plan and they're like, just, 
put him in a small room. Don't give him any air. Don't, don't, uh, put any cameras in the room. We're, we're going to get somebody who is, um, we're going to get the, the best lawyer that we can that's prepared to be dirty. We're not going to give counsel any of the disclosure, um, uh, we're, discovery information because it's all classified and well, and, uh, and not private only that, information. Not only that, but to play dirty and make it so that it wasn't actually a trial. It was literally just a, like, I forget the word for it, like almost like a review. We're not putting him on trial, meaning it was th- too. They didn't was, have to present the discovery because it's not a trial. Because it was about renewing his security clearance. Yes. Yeah. And nothing else. Yeah. Which. I mean, brilliant, but dirty on politics. The side that wants to stick him, yeah. I mean, brilliant yeah. from that, but also just terrible because you can see, you can see Oppenheimer slowly unraveling as he has to listen to his colleagues and his friends and um, his wife and people that he trusted, having to, you know, basically tell the truth for the first time ever, you know, and maybe they weren't always super honest with Oppenheimer over the years. And this time he's like really hearing who these people really are. And the biggest example um, of that happening was the character of. Yeah. I know who you're thinking of, cause I can't think of his name. I, I'm, I'm, trying I'm trying to find it too. So hard to figure out. It's not, it's not, Thomas Morgan, right? No, I I don't think so. Yeah, I know. Maybe I can't figure it out. And this is making me sad because I should have been prepared with this. I I know who you're talking about because it's the character that his wife said she'd punch in the face. A spit in his face. Spit in his face. Yes. Spit in his face. And, um, she gets that opportunity and you can see her trying to gather some spit in her mouth mm-hmm. when she doesn't shake his hand at the end. Yeah. When he's presented movie. with the award at the white, with the award at the white house. Oh my gosh, this is going to bother me so much. What was his name? I know. Was I it Morgan? No. Um, but I mean, but again, regardless, like even going to that scene of, you know, the whole, like I would spit in his face and talking about that character, like, and and then getting the opportunity to see that a little bit later, we do find out what that whole conversation between Oppenheimer and Albert Einstein was in the beginning of the movie, which kind of bookends the movie as well. Mm-hmm. And like when we finally find out what that conversation is, it's 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 kind of sad too. It's um, I, I found the uh, the character. Hang on, it is Edward Teller. Okay. It's Thank Teller. you. Yeah. Thank you. Because I really <laughs> enjoyed his character. Um, Up until that moment. Well, I, I enjoyed his character just as, just as from an acting standpoint, from a story standpoint, because I don't think that he was always in Oppenheimer's corner anyways. He, he always seemed kind of slippery, you know? He was even kind of greasy and shiny looking in throughout you know, Los Alamos. Well, that you know? was all from the sunscreen he was wearing when they tested the bomb. No, I mean, I'm talking I know about like, it, I know their, what you mean. Right. Like in their meetings and stuff like that. And it, like, you just got this sense that he was kind of slimy and, um, and then it's pretty much proven that he is in his, uh, when it was his turn to be interviewed, uh, 
by the bogus uh, trial counsel. Um, but at the end, when he comes up after uh, after Oppenheimer gets his award and tries to shake his wife's hand, yep. Oh, what a moment! Yeah. The hate in her and Kitty's eyes was just beautiful. Well, again, I mean, and that goes back to the, you know, we're talking about performances of some of these actors and, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on RDJ, but to just switch it over to Emily Blunt for a minute again, like that is, I, I don't get, I love Emily Blunt, like, you know, going back to what devil wears Prada and oh, she's like, great in that movie. She's mm-hmm. so great in that movie. Quiet um, place. A Quiet Place and, you know, a, a movie that I haven't seen yet, but Mary Poppins Returns. What? Um, oh, I thought you hadn't y- seen A Quiet Place. <laughs> no, I've seen A Quiet Place. I haven't seen A Quiet Place 2 yet. Um, <sighs> adding it to the list. <laughs> that's a different show, Kristen. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, again, like I said, like I mentioned, I didn't feel the Oscar worthiness until closer to the end. When she so, was when she was being questioned. So, being I, yeah. And I remember that you were talking about that. And I said, you know, let's talk about that when we get to recording. So what I love about Kitty Oppenheimer is that, or the way that Emily Blunt plays Kitty Oppenheimer, it's a role that I don't think that Emily Blunt has really ever played before. You know, it. Um, you really see this woman who was just free and interesting and electric before she got together with, uh, with Oppenheimer. And then they get married because she gets pregnant. And, you know, the reason why she left that her last husband before Oppenheimer, because it's revealed she's had quite a few husbands. Um, you know, she was bored. She didn't want to be in the house all day. She didn't want to have that life. Mm -hmm. And what happens she gets pregnant, they get married, and she's in the house all day. And she's got this screaming baby that um, that when Oppenheimer comes home from work, she's in the dark with a half-empty bottle of brown liquor of some sort. And there is a screaming baby in the distance. And the first thought I had was, this is postpartum depression that has been unchecked, and it has gone into full-fledged depression. And I don't think she ever truly recovers from that. Um, but to see her evolve into this character, you know, from the very beginning where she's this free spirited woman to post postpartum depression wife to supportive wife that is kind of scared of what her husband does. And then the fireball that she is at the end in that final interview Mm-hmm. where she does, or that scene is just fantastic. Um, I thought it was really, really well done. And it's something that I haven't seen her do before. Like I said, um, she plays a, a functioning alcoholic very, very well. Yeah, that I definitely see. And now that you kind of put it into a little bit more of a perspective in your right, like of seeing her as this character that kind of degresses and then progresses back into something else. Mm-hmm. Like you're right. There's definitely an arc that her character follows. And it, it's weird because it's almost a reverse arc. You usually see these characters hit highs and then go lows. Right. Hers is definitely, she starts low. Like she digresses immediately from the start, but then comes back up. Mm-hmm. 
So in that sense, that is because we talked about this on Revisited a little bit, how sometimes character mm-hmm. arcs are never truly arcs. They're, they're up and down, they're waves. They're, they're either waves or they start low and go high and then they end high. Mm-hmm. Like that's not an arc. That's just a hill. Hers <laughs> is <laughs> just like how my a love triangle is not a triangle. It's just an it's just an angle. That's that's the hill you're, you die on. <laughs> yep. um, this carrot for her character kitty it is absolutely an arc because it does dip but it does rise again Mm -hmm. towards the end and she becomes a stronger character again by the end of it it's interesting how strong their marriage was too i mean it it survived it it survived government interrogation it survived you know relocate yeah i was just gonna say it it survived relocating to los alamos being on a bomb site it involved government and all this government initiation. It involved infidelity. Uh, or Giving up your child for the sake of your marriage and the sake of your wife. Yeah. I mean, when they when they brought, you know, what what was his name? Frank? I, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, when they bring the baby to their friend's house and said, and, and I, Oppenheimer I take says, him. I need you to take him probably a little longer than than what you're thinking. Mm. That's a huge thing to ask. Um, and it's, and it's for that time period, it's a very big skeleton that you are exposing to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And you don't expose that kind of stuff in the forties. You just don't, um, you keep all of your problems behind closed doors. Um, and it, it was very interesting to me that, you know, he had these relationships and these friendships that he felt comfortable enough to say, I need you to take my child for the sake of my wife. I cannot do this right now. Um, You know, so he supports her and helps her through her lowest moment. And then you see later in my favorite scene of the whole movie of the whole movie is when she finds him cowering behind the the field. Yeah. 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 Um, After uh, Tatlock, Jean Tatlock. I think Florence Pugh's character after she had committed suicide and he found mm-hmm. out that she committed suicide, she's there for him in that moment, in that very raw moment where she's pretty much learning about his infidelity and she's still supporting him and she's still trying to get him back, um, get him out of this obvious downward spiral that he's in. Well, I, I and I have a question about, that character, Florence Pugh's sure. character. Um, I was a little confused in that moment. And I'm trying to, I'm just want to confirm that character's name. I'm trying to find it. Tatlock. Is it Tatlock? I don't, it was. Yeah. I don't, know um, I don't see it in the damn list. Cause oh, she's there it is. way down. Yeah. Jean Tatlock. The there we go. Yeah. Um, That's what I said. I, yeah, I know. I'm just confirming. Um, <laughs> was it suicide or was it murder? Because it feels like there is a scene where you see a hand on the back of her head. I have a thought about this. It's, was he was he picturing this? I think that he thought that he killed her with abandoning her. Because the the hand that you see, okay. those are his gloves. You know, they had yeah, the sticking on I, the outside. I saw the black gloves. That's mm-hmm. so so I wasn't crazy. We do see a hand. No, we all saw the gloves. Okay. Yeah. But I think the reason why she killed herself is because he finally said, I can't see you anymore. And yeah. she said, you said you'd all, always answer the phone. And he said, not this time. This is different. And she killed herself afterwards. And I think that 
you know, that that was their last contact. And then she kills herself shortly thereafter and he finds out about it. My guess is that in this tortured, brilliant mind of his, that he pictured himself holding her underwater. Okay. That makes sense. That, that, that does make sense. Okay. Cause I was a little confused by that. And I was like, wait, I'm like, I, th- I think she committed suicide, but like, I see the hand on the back of her head. And I'm like, was she like murdered? And it was made to look like suicide. Like I, I didn't take that. But now that you put it that way, I, I can see that this was something that was in his mind mm-hmm. and he was picturing himself as the person responsible. What a powerful that. scene that was too in the rain, trying to get him off of the ground behind the rock. They're both looking at each other as he's holding, as she's holding him. Um, there's barely anything said in that scene. Well, and because it's, it's, it's not until striking. late, it's not until later when there's a lot of recollecting happening that we actually hear, they revisit that scene again and we actually hear what they said to each other and that it was like, it's always been you and us together Mm -hmm. with that understanding. Yeah. I mean, they say that he was a womanizer, right? So obviously he had that other extramarital affair with, uh, the woman at the party. Um, did he know, they, he confirms it in a later scene because they talk about that affair. Somebody talks about that affair. Oh, that's not, right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And and so that was a real affair. So he, I mean, and it looks like he was kind of into um, Heisenberg as well. It looked like they had some real chemistry with each other. So, you know, it's possible that he was kind of like a love the one you're with kind of guy. Yeah. I could, I could. I can see that again, like this is more reasons why I want to watch and read and just learn more about this character and all these other characters that were involved in all of this. But like, see, I, that's what, why you know it's a good movie because yeah. it it makes you want to seek out the information. Well, that's what I and said isn't earlier. That yeah. what we're all trying to do is, you know, is educate people and make them aware of, 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 big moments in history and what a way to do it. I mean, kudos to Christopher Nolan. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, I love the Batman movies, but they never made me want to do more research afterwards. <laughs> like, no, like it's a great comic book movie. And now that it's over, uh, I'll watch it again at some point, but I'm going to move on to the next thing. I'm like, no, with Oppenheimer, I want to watch documentaries. I want to read books. Like I want to learn so much more about this. Yeah. Oh, I'm I, so glad. That's I'm, so cool. I'm I'm so engrossed in this movie and I cannot wait to see it again. Um again, the acting the acting is just absolutely fucking stacked. The um, story is perfect. The way that it's shot is wonderful. There was no CGI. Did you know that? I did know that because there's actually an article and I haven't read the article yet. Um and I wanted to read it before we started recording and I didn't I, I didn't. Um, there's actually an article on how they made the explosion without using. They use miniatures. Yeah. They use miniatures. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I love it that he didn't use CGI. I love that. And the fact that he didn't use CGI to de-age and age. Um, Oppenheimer. Kelly, well, did you see, did you see the article about like he did the filming around his hair? 
Oh, I'm sure. Because he didn't want him to, because apparently Killian Murphy has issues wearing wigs. Like he's allergic to a lot of that. So they mm-hmm. wanted to go and make that as much as possible so that he never had to. So there were literally scenes that they waited to shoot for him to grow his hair out so they could do oh, it's it. Special, well, because you have to also understand that his Peaky Blinders haircut was very unusual. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they had to really wait for that particular haircut too i'm not familiar but i I can imagine but yeah like Um, the the scope of everything not using cgi just the filming methods the cinematography like it's just like i yeah this this might be one of my favorite movies of the past decade it's definitely my favorite thing that yes 100 it's also my favorite thing that um robert downey jr has ever done um and Look, I love Peaky Blinders. I can't say it's my favorite thing that Killian Murphy has ever done, but I am so glad. I am so happy that he is now being recognized on a larger scope, on Mm -hmm. a larger stage, because that actor deserves everything that comes to him now. He is so good. He is, even in 28 Days Later, he's he's, amazing. I was just going to say, he's been good for a long time. But he um, hasn't gotten to that precipice that yeah. where I think he belongs. Because what's the movie he did? There was a, there's a movie I really enjoy him with with, with uh, Rachel McAdams. I think it's Red Eye. Where oh, he's, I don't know. He's the other guy on the plane. Like it's about two people being trapped on a plane together, and one of them is like a bad man, and he's the bad man. Well, and that's um, the other thing is that he does a lot, yeah, Red Eye. a lot of horror. Yeah, Red Eye. Yeah, Red Eye. It's it's a Wes Craven movie, actually, with him and Rachel McAdams, where yeah, they're stuck on a is. plane together. Yeah, he's and he's done. This is the sixth movie that he's done with Christopher Nolan, too. Um, he's done Inception. He did Dunkirk. He did all three of the Batman movies. Mm-hmm. And then this movie. Yeah, he's done. He's listed in Tron Legacy, too, and I don't... Oh, that's right. He is in Tron Legacy. He's in a very small scene because he's uncredited in the movie, but he isn't. I forgot about that. He's one of the guys at the board meeting. Damn. Yeah, I would I would highly recommend um, anybody who hasn't seen um, Peaky Blinders to pick up that show immediately. It's fantastic he's fantastic if you liked him in Oppenheimer you're gonna love him in Peaky Blinders um he's really good in 28 Days Later he's great in A Quiet Place too I mean he's just great I really really enjoy him as an actor and I'm just so happy that he finally is being recognized for the actor that he is and I really hope that he wins best actor I do too. And I know people have said like, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier about how there's really, we don't know how the competition's going to be. We're sure Leo is probably going to be up for it at some point too. And I know yeah. uh, this being Barbenheimer. Yeah, but he never wins. So it's fine. True. Um, <laughs> and this being Barbenheimer, obviously like there's a number of people that are saying that Ryan Gosling might be up for a potential like Oscar nomination, but in supporting actor instead. And all the people that I've seen, like what I've seen the Facebook posts of people saying like, Oh, Gosling might get an Oscar nomination for this. The number of people that have chimed in and said, have you seen Oppenheimer yet? <laughs> Are like, uh, I've seen both. He doesn't stand a chance of winning. No, nope. like not with, not, I mean, not with Robert, po- the possibility of Robert Downey Jr. Although I don't know if you could put him in lead or supportive, to be I, honest. I think he would probably be supporting. 
Well, I, I hope so. I think Killian would be obviously lead lead actor in a drama. Um, I think RDJ, and I could probably even see one for Matt Damon. Yes. As well. And Florence Pugh. Florence, I think she was Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt. I could see getting the Oscar nominations too. Um, Emily Blunt was good. Florence Pugh was phenomenal. Yeah, I could honestly see. I could see this being the first Oscar win for Christopher Nolan. Uh, you know what? I I hope it gets everything it deserves because I really, really, really enjoyed this movie, uh, right down to the smallest detail. Because mm-hmm. um, I I can tell I, you I, I can't can, recommend it enough. I can tell you, looking at Christopher Nolan's repertoire as director. Um, Memento is great. Insomnia, I really enjoy because it's a Robin Williams. It's a very dark Robin Williams movie. Um, my favorite Christopher Nolan movie up until this point, because Oppenheimer has taken the lead as my. Yeah. It is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie easily. Was The Prestige? Oh, I see. Mine was Inception. Inception's great, but I mean Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. With Christopher Nolan, like that was the prestige to me is just a phenomenal movie. I haven't seen that movie. I'm going to just put it on the list. Put it on the list. I'll add it to my list. Um, Shit, I might have to bump your movie for next week to make that your next one. Because that's a good movie. Um, It's this has easily become my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. Just because it is incredibly well done. I agree. I agree. Excellent movie. I'm just, I can't recommend it enough. I can't wait to go see it again. I'm going to go see it in IMAX um, so that I can get the full effect. They actually invented the black and white film so that it would be portrayed on IMAX. Uh, that ha- that wasn't a thing, apparently. I didn't know that. I read that in the trivia. Well, so I don't know if you know this as well, but so there are only 14 theaters in the country. So, most of it's it's showing an IMAX all across the country, but it's digital IMAX. Mm-hmm. There are only 14 theaters across the country that are showing the 70 millimeter print IMAX version. Oh, wow. Um, so for start, so one thing about that, the film reel for this movie in 70 millimeter is 11, 11 miles, miles long. long. Crazy. And they had to bring in new IMAX projector equipment because it weighs almost a ton. Crazy. So they had to bring in equipment just to be able to handle the weight of the reel. But the IMAX theater that I saw my screening in is one of the 14 theaters that has the 70 millimeter. Now they didn't show us, the 70 millimeter version. They only showed us the digital version, which I was rather upset at. Cause when I was checking in, I know the, I know the girl that works for the, the company when I was checking in, she kind of leaned in and she's like, it's not the 70 millimeter. Cause she knows I'm a fan of stuff like that. She's like, it's not the 70 millimeter. I was like, what? She's like, no, she's like, it's just the digital. They're not starting the 70 millimeter until premiere day. I'm like, all right. Well, you're going to go back and see it then. So it's I, to go back I plan it. to go back to that IMAX theater to watch the 70 millimeter film version of Oppenheimer. Because we are one of the lucky 14 that have it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So now if it was in Dolby at the same time, that would be like the ultimate ultimate viewing experience the dolby sound is really where it's at definitely um 
I will say I, too, as far as I think it's going to be nominated for sound editing, um, for cinematography, it's going to be nominated for so much. Yes, a hundred percent. So so much. I would um, I would really suggest going on IMDb too for anybody that likes this kind of stuff and just read the trivia. I mean, I could sit here and read it all, but. Just go read the trivia because there's so many cool little tidbits about this movie and about kind of the work that it took to make this movie. And Killian Murphy, apparently, uh, who is already very skinny and like to begin with, had lost even more weight to be like as gaunt as real Oppenheimer was. And he restricted his caloric intake at one point to a single almond per day. Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, just the the effort from everybody in this movie was just, it was very apparent. It was very well done. It's a perfect movie. It's a perfect movie. Um, you know, it's three hours. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't feel like three hours. I if it feels like three hours to you, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was I was going to say the same thing. Uh, do not let the three hour runtime deter you from seeing this movie, because as I mentioned at the top, I never checked my watch once. And as you just said, uh, I'll reiterate, it does not feel like three hours at all. No, I wanted more. I, I was really, really angry, not angry, but I was very disappointed when it ended. I, I wanted more. Um. I'm looking at, and this is just to give you a good idea as well as to like the reviews. I mentioned I gave it um, through Wilhelm. I gave it a five-star review. Um, and then Rotten Tomatoes has it at a... Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 94%. And Metacritic, which is the other big one, has it only has it at an 89, um, which is kind of low for Metacritic. I don't know why. Well, because there are a few people that thought that it was an over overdone documentary, that it could have been a 45-minute documentary, and I think that that's bullshit. I completely disagree with that. I completely – it's on IMDb. That, that particular review is on IMDb, and you just want to, like, punch the guy through the phone. It's, uh, well, but I mean, I'm also looking at the difference between rankings too, because again, Rotten Tomatoes has it at, at a 94, Metacritic has it at, has an 89. But also, another movie that just recently released was Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Metacritic has it at an 81. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 96. Because it's Tom Cruise. Yeah, but I still want to see it. Yeah, I'm gonna see it eventually. All right, yeah. I know when you're going to see it. Yeah. Uh, we, we won't talk about that, though. No, we will not. We don't um, talk about Fight Club. Yeah, we don't talk about Fight Club. Uh, so we do have a little bit of feedback. We did put posts out there both on Wilhelm and through Podcastica. Um, it's only three things, so I'm just going to read them. I'm just going to read okay. them relatively quickly. Uh, the first one comes from the Podcastica side, and it comes from someone named Erica Price. Uh, and she says, I think most of my criticism is due to the shoddy theater playing the movie. The mm. bursts of sound were so jarring and the speakers were obviously blown, making it so much worse. Uh, however, Killian's performance was amazing. He makes it look so easy and it doesn't hurt. That is very nice to look at. Yes. Uh, Gary Oldman as Truman was also a highlight. I do feel like it could have been 30 minutes shorter, but that's Nolan for you. 
overall an excellent movie, but not the best movie I've seen. Um, I, I can respect that. Um, I don't agree with the 30 minutes shorter because I'm with you. I, I wanted more of the movie. You know, I think that with a better theater experience, she probably would have enjoyed it more. I encourage you, Erica, to try again in maybe like a Dolby theater or something like that and see if you have a different opinion. But I mean, you know, I, I obviously disagree. And I, and, <laughs> and I agree with okay. I agree with you on the better theater um, experience, too, because I can tell you another friend of mine, uh, shout out to my friend Aaron, uh, who is a Seattle film critic. He saw it at a screening uh, the same night that I did. Uh, But the theater that he was in did not have air conditioning. Oh, my gosh. So he sat through a three hour long movie in Seattle with no air conditioning. Now, Seattle's a little cooler than where we are, but still in the summer with a theater full of people that sucks. So his initial route, his initial review when it came out was only four stars. And I was kind of thrown by that. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, like I don't get why he only gave it four stars, but I kind of respect his, respect his opinion. And then he posted, he was going to see it again at a different theater to see if it will change his perspective. Mm -hmm. And when he updated his review, it was five stars. Mm-hmm. He was like, yes. He's like, the theater experience definitely changed mm-hmm. my view. He's like, because I was able to actually, I wasn't distracted and I was able to be pulled into the story. You know, the, the theater that you're in really, really matters. And I was so glad that, you know, even though I was in a standard movie theater, I still got great sound, great picture, um, a really nice experience. I mean, you know, it was a matinee that I went to. So there were, you know, it was like a blue hair um, experience. Yeah. So lots of, lots of older people who could not hold their bladders the whole time. So there was a lot of movement and walking, but I didn't care. I just didn't care. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think a lot of even the smaller moments is really impactful by the sound as well. Um, for instance, we, uh, we talked about earlier the, um, the pep rally scene where he's trying to talk about the, um, the success of the bomb working, but he is, you can see he is fracturing on the inside. And that is shown by kind of the fracturing that's happening in the background of his face, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, the sound that is being created as a result, the pounding with the heels of all the women in, um, in the sitting in the bleachers and the seats areas that he comes into Um, all of that is so sound dependent. And I think that it would be more impactful if the sound worked correctly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, to be in a theater where the speakers are blown um, cause again, I mentioned, I think this is going to be nominated for sound editing as well. Um, so I, I think my recommendation, Erica would be like, if you have the opportunity, give, give the movie another shot, another chance at a different theater where everything is working properly. Get a, get a comfy seat, grab some popcorn. Cause there's no other way to watch a movie than with popcorn. I'm a popcorn girl. No, I, it's my, it's like, I'll eat popcorn instead of a meal, like a, a uh, oh, normal meal. I'm not denying that popcorn is fantastic. I'm just saying mm, pretzel bites and cheddar cheese are pretty damn good too. Get some popcorn, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move on with the other pieces of feedback. Um, this one comes from the Wilhelm side, and this is from our friend Jamie, uh, Jamie Dimmick. 
Uh, she says, I saw Oppenheimer with the help of a very awesome friend. I will explain that in a minute. Uh, holy smokes, was it a great movie. It didn't feel three hours long. Oscar-worthy performances from the entire cast. I was literally on the edge of my seat, nervous during the countdown, and I knew how it turned out. <laughs> uh, so, th so the whole, uh, she saw it with the help of a very awesome friend. Um, quick backstory on that. The, the screening that I went to, Jamie and her boyfriend, Tony, uh, were also there to see the movie. Uh, now, this was in a IMAX theater that seated 200 and I think 50 or 260 people. Uh, the company that we did the screening through, that I do, attend all my screenings through, booked about 400 people for the screening. They well overbooked it. Uh, Jamie and Tony were there early. This was the biggest press turnout to any screening I've ever attended as press. Uh, we filled about a third of the theater mm. um, because it was a very large press turnout. So we're getting closer and closer and closer to the movie start. And Jamie and Tony still have not been let in, even though they got there before most of the other people, just the way they were filtering people in. They didn't, I didn't know, but because ordinarily they give us a press section. So we have our own section to seat in, but because of all the RSVPs to this, they told us early on in the day, there's no press section. So make sure you get there early. Find a seat. Presto has early admittance, but you can sit anywhere you went, find a seat. So when I found out there was no press section, I told Jamie, I will reserve two seats for you and Tony with me so we can all sit together. And I held those seats throughout everything, even all the times that they kept coming in and say, if you have an empty seat, please put your hand up. Like we understand people want to be together, but you might have to sit separately. And they got to the point where they were full of capacity and I still had those two seats and Jamie and Tony still weren't in there. They were getting ready to be turned away. And I text Jamie. I was like, do you have food with you? She's like, yeah, we have drinks. I was like, step out of line. Tell them you were already in there and you just left to get food and you're coming back to your seats. Yeah, she's that's like, a, that was a great idea. She's like, will that work? I'm like, just do it. And they finally, and they did it. And I saw them come in. I was like, it worked. She's like, yeah. She's like, we just told them we were already in there. I was like, I was like, you should have just done that like 30 minutes ago. An hour ago. And just come in. <laughs> so I was able to get them in because I was reserving them seats. So otherwise That's they would awesome. have been turned away and wouldn't have seen it. What was the last thing she said in her feedback? Uh, she said, I was literally on the edge of my seat, nervous during the countdown, and I knew how it turned out. Okay, so so my husband, uh, Dave, when we were coming back into the house, because we were talking about how it was a true story, like we knew what was going to happen, but that suspense was there. And uh, Dave had said, anytime a director can make you on the edge of your seat and sus and make actual, like, happened history that you know what happened suspenseful that is a remarkable feat mm -hmm. that is something that should yeah. always be like and james I, cameron I think, well, with the titanic did yeah. you hear me okay yeah 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 oh, okay yeah your videos your sound is on but your video is just a little delayed it'll catch up um okay. but i think one of the like one of the things that I really enjoyed about this, we've already said, said enough spoilers. If you're listening to this, you've seen the movie already. Um, the whole buildup to the testing of the bomb, to the mm -hmm. bomb, to the Trinity bomb test. I'm like, this is going to be loud. This is going to be an explosion. 
I'm like, I'm gearing up for this because like of how big this screen is and how loud this theater is. I'm yeah. gearing up for it. And then the bomb goes off and it's silent. And it's not silent for, for like 30 seconds. It's silent for like a good two or three minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. And then finally I'm like, oh, I'm like, this must be very stylish. This is what Nolan's doing. You're not actually going to hear the explosion. And the mm-hmm. second I finish that thought, I'm hit with this boom. Yeah. <laughs> and the entire theater jumps because nobody <laughs> expected it. And it was such a stylish move to do I, that. And I, I think I that it. it's because it takes that long for the sound and the effect of that bomb to reach you. It does. And scientifically, you know what I mean? So scientifically it's accurate, but I don't think it's that long. Well, no, obviously. I mean, we, it was a moment suspended in time and that was stylish, but you know, I think that that effect is probably what happens anyways. It is. Well, if they play with it a little bit earlier on when they're testing the smaller versions Mm -hmm. where like the bigger the, the, the testing is the longer it takes for, the set for them to hear the sound. And he plays mm-hmm. with that a little bit earlier. So I half expected for when they test Trinity and the bomb goes off, I half expected the blast to come 10, 15 seconds. Right. Later. Cause that's about how long it would take in actuality. I didn't expect it three minutes. It was awesome. Later. It was, it was great. It was awesome. It's it all could, awesome. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, and then the last piece of feedback we have comes also from the podcasting aside, but it comes from our friend Rima. Uh, love Rima. Hi, Rima. And Rima says, loved it. The movie was so full of dialogue, not a complaint, but then the silence when they tested the bomb, just the heavy breathing before the sound hit you, so well done. The mm-hmm. whole theater was silent, and it, and Nolan does a great job building to that moment. I visited White Sands years back. So interesting to be there and see where history was made. Nolan is a master. Thank you, Rima. I agree with everything she said, as usual. Yeah, I'd love to go to White Sands to see it. I mean, I don't think there's... I don't know if that whole thing is there anymore, but I don't know what still exists of that location. I don't know what exists anywhere, right? This isn't a... a piece of history that I've really zoned in on ever. So, um, you know, that it was fun to explore that for sure. Yeah. I just, I can't say enough good things about the movie. Me I could sit here for another hour and talk about the movie, but I won't. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we're going to wrap things up obviously with the plugs for everything. And we're going to do both sides. We're going to do Wilhelm and we're going to do podcast because it doesn't matter what side you're listening on. Uh, we want you to go and check out the other. So for Wilhelm, mm-hmm. Um, be sure to check out wilhelmpodcast.com. There you can find all the past episodes, videos of episodes, where to subscribe, how to leave feedback, all the fun stuff that is there as well. Uh, in addition to that, Kristen and I also do the Revisited Podcast at revisitedpod.com. Uh, we are currently almost wrapped up with Lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time you're hearing this, in our next episode, it will be our 100th episode, and we're going to be revealing what series we're doing next after Lost. Yes. Uh, and then also here on Wilhelm, as part of the, the Wilhelm feed, Kristen and I are doing our weekly movie swaps, which have been a lot of fun. <laughs> we just started them, but they're already fun. 
they're goofy. They're that that's if you have something that you need to listen to in the background, just download it. You are literally just eavesdropping in on our conversation about two movies that we watched. And it's yeah. But it's great, and it's it's a ton of fun, and we've already gotten a lot of great feedback about that as well. Good. So, wilhelmpodcast.com, revisitedpodcast.com, or everything on the Wilhelm end. Now, as for the Podcastica side, podcastica.com is where you can go to check out all of the great programming on podcastica.com. Kristen and I are involved in podcasts over there yes. as well. Uh, I just got done wrapping up coverage of The Walking Dead, Dead City for the cast of us, which is, if you're already listening... They're the ones that just covered the Barbie part of Barbenheimer. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Kristen, you are getting ready to jump into Andor. Which uh, I, I'm or getting not Andor, ready to jump uh, Ahsoka. into Ahsoka. Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, which Ahsoka. I, and uh, we are about to Severance. start a Severance yep. podcast. And I also do House of the Dragon. And I know Jason is getting ready to jump into White Lotus with a new mm-hmm. podcast over there as well. Lots um, of new content for a strike. Yes. For yeah. us. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, we mentioned Rima, who left us feedback. Rima and our friend Paik do Strange Indeed. They are currently covering Black Mirror. And I th- I don't know what the series they're doing next is. Um, but they'll, um, they'll cover Stranger Things when Stranger Things comes back out. They, um, they cover a lot of those kind of mm-hmm. series over there. Uh, Paik and Daphne have Run For Your Lives, which is kind of like a creature feature movie of the week that they do over there. Um there's there's a lot. There's too much to mention, uh, but there's pretty much something for everybody. Yeah. If you're a fan of anything, just go over yeah. and scroll Podcastica and you'll find it. You'll find it. Um, I did a, a full rewatch uh, of Game of Thrones back when Game of Thrones was good. Um, so that's also on there uh, on House Podcastica. Um, there's a good Handmaid's Tale podcast that has actually been... Um, uh, mentioned by the showrunners on Twitter, which was which is really kind of exciting. So, yeah, there's a lot of really really good content on both ends. Um, so, I I highly recommend. There's a Podcastica group uh, on Facebook that if you don't even want to listen to any more podcasts other than like the few on the stuff that you're kind of interested in, like maybe you don't really listen to podcasts, but you like Oppenheimer, so you want to listen to it. Um, but you like being a part of like pop culture stuff. Go over to the group, join the group, and start talking to some some new friends. I've made some of the best friends that I'll ever have uh, came from that group. Ben being one of them. Um, so I would absolutely recommend it's a very, very great, it's a great community. I've been a part of it since 2016. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been, a, I've been a part of it for almost that long as well. Yeah. I think, it's been, I think not yeah. too long after you joined, I, I, you I and I are one that. of the, yeah, you and I are part of the original crew. We're some sure. of the OG crew. Yes, we for, are. For podcast again. I, and I, but I, I highly recommend it. I, they're, you know, just. Any personalities are welcome. Any walks of life are welcome and appreciated. Um, very inclusive, very wonderful, and go. Yeah. Go. So <laughs> so if you are listening to this, so if you are a Wilhelm listener listening to this, uh, please go over to podcastica.com and check out all of their great content that is over there. Uh, if you are listening to this on the Podcastica end, I encourage you to come check out Wilhelm and all the stuff yes. I do over there. Um, celebrity interviews, top five episodes, movie reviews, um, Swapcast. Swapcast with Kristen and I. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it, a lot of great content on both sides. So whichever side you're rec- you're listening on, I recommend just going to the other and checking out just to see what they have. Yes. 
So agreed. Um, yeah. So that being said, uh, I think that about does it for Oppenheimer. You're right. We could talk about this for like another. There's so much more I want to talk about, but I won't. I, uh, what I want to do is maybe revisit, (laughs) um, revisit this again, maybe a couple months from now, um, after we've had an opportunity to maybe do some reading, watch some behind the scenes stuff, watch some research and then revisit the movie and see if maybe yeah. opinions have changed or we've picked up on new things. That would be great. We'll um, do it on we'll do it as a special episode of our revisited podcast. Maybe. We're going to revisit it. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. So Okay. Uh, one more time, wilhelmpodcast.com, revisitedpod.com, podcastica.com are the links to where you can find everything, that all the information that you need to find. Uh, but thank you for listening to this. Kristen, thank you for doing this with me, obviously. Uh, thank you for doing this with me because <laughs> I wasn't going to go quietly into the night I if I weren't. didn't get chosen for this movie. <laughs> no. I I knew, I knew you weren't. So, uh, but thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody out there listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you for watching. Uh, thank you for being a part of the community. But until next time, we'll see you on another episode of Wilhelm. Take care. Bye. Bye.